Hello and welcome to the Still Space Podcast. I'm your host, Executive Coach Mary Lee Gannon, where my guests and I share fun and simple strategies to manage yourself so that you can show up the way you want in work relationships in life and not default to past behaviors that leave you disappointed. The Still Space is where you learn to take an intentional moment to challenge habitual assumptions that hold you back with enlightened truths that boost your genius. We transform drama, resentment, doubt, unmet expectations, and self-sabotage to executive presence, self-control, deep sleep, healthy choices, and more connection with people who matter while it still matters. It's time. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me. First, I have something really special that I can't wait to share with you. Most of you know that I work by day as the CEO of a $31 million organization, and I coach a handful of clients in the evening. Now I have taken the tenets of mindful leadership and put that into a training program so that you can fast track your career leadership while also balancing that with a good night's sleep, healthy eating habits, and close relationships. I call this program Mindful Leader Satisfied Life. Not only will you have the training, you also get one-on-one coaching with me, not a group, one-on-one coaching with me so that we can unravel your personal assumptions that are holding you back. You will no longer be unnoticed, undervalued, and inadequate, feel judged, and that others think that there's something wrong with you and you start thinking there's something wrong with you too because you're getting passed over for promotions, new roles, no longer doing all the things you hear you should be doing. Sigh of relief, right? With only defeat and the fear that failure is in your DNA forever dogging you in the back of your mind. You'll no longer be disconnected from colleagues, friends, and family or following the shoulds that make you feel you're still behind the curve and might even lose everything altogether. No longer frustration about habits that show up in terms of snacking, disjointed relationships, vices, poor sleep. No longer making excuses while not actually getting any closer to high performance. So if you're interested in this program, all you have to do is go to my website, maryleegannon.com. Click on the link on the top that says Coach with Mary Lee. It explains all about the program. Fill out a few questions on the questionnaire so that I know a little bit more about you and I'll reach right out to you and we'll set up a time to talk and we'll get you started. No longer will you have to wake up and say, I missed an opportunity. I wish I had. Please remember that I can only take a few clients at a time and I already have a full book right now. So I'd like to make sure that you're on the list. Head over to maryleegannon.com. Click on Coaching with Mary Lee. Let's get started. Hi, Mindful Leader. This is episode 22 of the Still Space Podcasts. More of my 28 best tips for mindful leadership satisfaction. This is a continuation of last week's podcast, and we are on tip number seven. Regret is only constructive if you make peace and move on. Think about things that you regret. Have you been regretting them for a long time? Do they get in the way of your peace? 
I used to carry a lot of regret for who I wasn't as a mother when I was under a lot of oppression. I was in an abusive marriage. I was trying to get divorced. We were poor. We went from the country club life to public assistance. And I felt very under-resourced as a mom emotionally and practically. I became needy with my children. I knew I wasn't being at my best, and I still wanted their approval more than they were able to give it. And I've made peace with that over time. My situation when my kids were little was dire. It was very stressful. I was working several jobs, and then I finally got a full-time job and trying to make lunches, trying to make dinner, laundry, do it all. It was hard. It was very hard. And I've gotten to a place where I've forgiven myself for who and what I couldn't be at that time. Now, my children have come along at different paces. Some of them see the growth that I've made. Some of them are very proud of what I've been able to do in my life and in my career to support them. And they still sometimes have times when they think back and they wish I could have, wish I would have. I was definitely there. I was present for everything that they were involved in physically, emotionally. Sometimes I wasn't as present because I was so worried all the time, anxious all of the time. And I have regret about that. However, I can't continue to look back and regret and regret and regret something that I can't change. I've learned over time that when we can accept ourselves, even when we're not at our best, and I wasn't at my best, but I was extremely responsible, and I was present, and I was very much on top of everything that all of the kids were doing, Sometimes I just didn't have a whole lot of fun doing it. Sometimes I wasn't fun to be around. I was worried a lot of the time. And I've released that because it's not who I am at my core. It's not who I am today. But if we continue to carry regret around without reconciling and forgiving ourselves first, it doesn't make us happy and it doesn't make us fully present with others. So I think regret is only constructive if you can make peace with it and move on. Of course, regret is present. We can't say that everything we did was the best that we could do all of the time. That's not human. But allow yourself to forgive yourself for regret that you carry around because you can't go back and change that. All you can do is look at where you are today and be the person that you're proud of. Be the person that you want to be today. Tip number eight, fear-based leadership avoids risks, seeks to blame, and kills cultures. I know that you know fear-based leaders. Those are the ones who are in your face. Those are the ones who are talking all the time at meetings. They need to be heard. Those are the ones that have to be right instead of getting it right. Those are the people that intimidate you. Those are the people that make you afraid, that fear-based leadership leads to a fear-based culture. So how do we not be fear-based leaders? Well, we have to be very secure in ourselves and work mindfully with mindful practices, mindful 
passages that we read in books, mindful continuity in our lives so that we can release fear because the people that are fear-based in their leadership, they are imposters. They are afraid at some point someone's going to find out that they're not really deserving of where they are, that they can't do what they need to do, that they won't be successful. They actually, deep down inside, doubt themselves and are cynical about themselves. This does not make for sound leadership. And then do you know what they end up doing? They end up micromanaging you. They have no boundaries. They take no prisoners. So then they start criticizing your work, kicking up a lot of sand and dust because if there's a fury around you, then nobody will notice that they're inept. These are toxic people in toxic cultures. And if you go back to the drama triangle that we talked about in the previous episode, these are the bullies, the persecutors on that drama triangle. And what do they fear? They fear losing control. So there's a way to manage the fear-based leader, and that is to understand that they are constantly afraid. So you want to pacify them by letting them know that you have their back. I know that you said that you are interested in this. I just wanted to report on this to you because I know it's important to you, especially if this person is your boss. You have to find a way to coincide with them. Constantly reinforce that you have their back because they are not going to change unless they're like you, working on building their self-awareness, their ability to self-regulate, and their ability to self-accept. Most of the time, they don't even see this. Fear-based leaders have very low self-awareness. I've had many instances in my careers where I have had confrontations with fear-based leaders. They've not typically been my bosses, Usually, I've been in CEO roles reporting to other CEOs um, that are of a division higher than I am. So usually by somebody, at the time somebody gets to that level, they're, they're actually pretty good at leadership. But I've had colleagues that have been lateral to me that I have had some confrontations with. And I remember specifically one director of finance when I was the president of a certain hospital foundation, giving me a really hard time. When are you ever really going to raise money? When are you going to do anything that we need? And this was quite accusatory and and threatening. And the truth is he wanted me to raise money for what he was measured against, which was unrestricted money that he could put wherever he wanted to, to make the budget look good. And I was raising money in areas that the mission needed and that donors were interested in. I was raising a lot of money at the time, ended up being $10.4 million at that location. And still, I had this conflict with a leader who wasn't aligned with the mission, was more aligned with his personal goals. So I had a discussion. I sat down with him and I said, I know that you would like me to raise unrestricted dollars. Our donors aren't as interested in that as they are in purposeful giving around their specific areas of interest. Allow me to raise the money in those areas and I will appeal to them for unrestricted reasons so that there will be some unrestricted money as well, but it's not an area where I can be as successful as targeted fundraising. I'm sure you understand that we have needs in this hospital that 
require a lot more spending on our side than some of the other areas that are more profitable. It doesn't mean that we're going to shut down those areas. And so this way we were able to come to an agreement that he could understand where I was coming from. Maybe he did understand. Maybe he didn't accept that because it didn't align with what his personal goals were. But he knew from an intellectual capacity that I had a case for support for what I was doing, and it wasn't to meet his personal goals, and I was going to continue to work on what was my job to do. Very difficult sometimes when you're dealing with fear-based leaders, but you can do it when you can keep yourself grounded and are mindful of what are your goals, and you stay with your home base and don't get pulled out into the outfield trying to defend yourself against somebody else's goals that just aren't yours to own. Tip number nine, curiosity and compassion take humility. And that means you can't need to be perfect because perfection kills careers. The way we get around perfectionism, which of course comes up when we're anxious and we're worried about ourselves and we are fearful and we don't think we're going to be able to execute successfully. So then we just overwork whatever we're working on. I'll work on this resume a little bit longer. I'll work on this project before I'll put it in to be evaluated by my boss a little bit longer. I'll, I'll get a team together and we'll talk about it some more death by meetings. More meetings are not the answer. And that need for perfectionism can be diffused with our curiosity. And then in that curious state, we become more compassionate because we may be afraid and we may be really disliking somebody in that fearful state, but now we can become a little bit more compassionate to understand, for instance, in the case that I just described, this person in finance, what's been going on in his life that makes him so dogmatic, that makes him so overbearing and afraid. And he's probably being judged against not hitting a budget on things that are outside of his control. And when I can have some compassion for that, I have more compassion for me. Because when I'm trying to be perfect, I have zero compassion for me. I'm not allowing for myself to make mistakes, not allowing for humility. And that's where we get stuck. Oh, I don't know why I keep feeling this way. I don't know why I can't stop doing this. We can't stop doing it because we're trying too hard to be perfect. And that's where we turn around and say to ourselves, uh, I don't have this all figured out, but let me give myself a little bit more space to work on that. Tip number 10, there is power in having your bosses back. Find a way to do that or go somewhere where you can. Don't stay and poison yourself and poison the culture. And I hear this from clients all the time. I have this terrible boss. He's always this way. She's always picking on me. And we have to be very succinct and open about how we are interpreting situations. Because, of course, there are thoughts that we turn into stories that follow with emotions and those emotions lead to our actions. So if we're feeling like a victim, this person's always picking on me, they're so overbearing, that leads to an emotion of resentment, anger, stuck, and the action is we usually don't do anything. 
because that way we'll just stay small and if we fail, we'll only fail small. That doesn't serve you. The number one law of power is have your bosses back. Why is that? Because that person is best positioned to help you advance within your organization, to help you get exposed to more opportunities where you can become a stronger leader, get a little more breadth of experience, and position you in front of executive leadership whereby you can be promoted and included in things at a higher level where you have a greater chance for fulfillment and experience. So what happens if you have this boss that's maybe not a great boss and you have a hard time having his, her, or their back? Well, you have to make a decision. Can you find a way to do that that doesn't sell out your values? And most of the time you can, unless the person is extremely punitive. Or do you need to leave? Because you don't just stay, not have their back and poison the culture. Then you become toxic and you will never be fulfilled. You will never advance. You won't get promoted. You'll just become more resentful and hateful. And that is dendritic. Everything that shoots out from that will be hateful and angry. And that's not a way to live. That You don't deserve to live that way. So when you have your boss's back, that means you are constantly invoking trust. You're showing them that they can count on you. I know you said that you wanted this, so I wanted to show this to you and make sure that it's in alignment with what it is that you want. You had stated at this meeting that this is our priority. I'm working on this and I have this other thing that I need to work on, but I want to make sure I'm meeting that priority. Which one would you prefer that I focus on? That constant going back and making sure that you're in alignment with where that leader is headed shows that person that they can trust you. And when they know that you can be trusted, you become a confidant. You have their back. They know that. And they expose you to more. They position you better. And it's just happier for you. So having your boss's back, I encourage you to think of that as like having your own back. And if that person is just so egregious that you can't even envision that, then it's time to move on. Don't stay and poison the culture because you will only poison yourself. Tip number 11. Good people leave organizations because of bad managers who don't position them to learn in advance. Mediocre people leave organizations for a dollar more an hour, free lunch and a pool table in the break room. If your organization isn't positioning you to learn new things, to advance, it might be time to look for another organization. And I do not encourage people to leave secure roles. But if you are doing the same job today as you were doing five years ago, eventually the organization could eliminate that position and hire somebody younger and pay them the same thing. This is why you want to be constantly building your bandwidth of skills. And most good organizations know that they need to provide you with those opportunities or or you will leave. So assess the organization's capacity to meet your career ladder needs. If you go into an organization and you're really excited about the role, a good question you may ask on the interview is, 
where might you see me in three years? What might I be doing differently in three years? Make sure there's opportunity for you to grow. And don't be looking for those perks of free lunch, pool table. I mean, that's all great, but that's just to pacify people who are not looking at their job as a career. They're looking for it as um, maybe a culture or someplace nice to be, but you want to make sure that you also have the opportunity to learn and grow. I've managed a lot of people in my time and the good people I've been able to secure by constantly bringing them into my inner circle, letting them know how I'm thinking, how I'm planning, involving them in the planning process, positioning them to be at meetings in leadership roles so they get the experience of being there, getting exposed to things that they might not otherwise have. When an employee knows that you have their back, this is converse to what we discussed in the previous tip. Have your bosses back, but also have your teams back. And by that, I mean not just support them uh, in a conflict, and I've been in conflicts where managers come like a, a mama bear and are protecting their staff. That's not good leadership. That's conflict-based and fear-based leadership. I'm talking about making sure your employees are exposed to things where they can get new knowledge, new tools for their tool belt, new opportunities to learn how to think and execute and design. That's the type of exploration that employees want that will keep them in your organization so they see where they might go. Tip number 12, A people hire A people. Ask for their insight and get out of their way. B people hire C people and micromanage them. I'm sure you've seen this. You've seen really good leaders who surround themselves with people who may have their weaknesses as their strengths so that they can be supportive and help them. They're constantly deferring to them and asking their opinions and treating them with respect. And I'm sure you've also seen very overbearing and heavy-handed leaders, those with a command and control style of leadership, less of an aligned style of leadership, wanting to be the voice in the room, needing to be heard first to speak, don't have a lot to say, but will say it louder than anyone else, will command a presence, and end up taking over in an extrovert way where there are in introverts in the room who are really great thinkers and analyzers who don't get their opinions heard because these overbearing leaders are taking over. So be that A person who hires people who are as good as you are or better at something, that shows you're a secure leader. I've had clients who are honest, and I appreciate this honesty, and have said, you know, I have this person on my team who I am intimidated by. They know a lot more about XYZ than I do, and they constantly are pushing that agenda at meetings. And I say, I'm glad they know more about that than you do. How can they support your team. Stop thinking you are in competition with them, right? It's not a lose-win. That person wins if they know more about something than you do. You are the umbrella over everything. 
managing that chess game, every piece on that chessboard from the top. You're not just a pawn moving around. It's okay for that person to know more than you do. And no, it's not okay that they have a bigger ego and are uh, pushing that agenda. But maybe you can help them in a servant leader way, tone down that need to be heard, that need to be seen in how you manage them by saying things like, I really appreciate you sharing that. You are our maven at this and we rely on you. What do you think we should do about this? And then ask them an opinion about something and they may not know right away. And if they feel flustered, you can support them by saying, you know what, why don't you get back to me on that tomorrow or at some point, because I value your opinion. And so now you're pulling that person who was in conflict with you back into alignment with you. You can't expect that you will ever know what they know. Think of the president of the United States. That person has a national security advisor. The president has health care advisors, economic advisors, They're not expected to know everything. They rely on people who are better than they are, but don't get into an arm wrestle with people who have talent different than yours. You're not expected to be able to do what they do. You were hired to manage from a higher level, looking over every aspect of a project. Allow them to be you and you play your role. Tip number 13, and this is really important for executive presence. Emotional leaders hardly ever advance. Practice a good poker face while you work on self-acceptance. Think of the person who breaks down at meetings or is overly passionate And they use that passion as a reason why you should be in alignment with them. And their reason for doing something is more important than anybody else's. That emotion is not something that usually advances to the executive table. It's not trustworthy. That's why it's emotional. And when we're leading from our emotions, not our thoughts, the actions that we take are usually biased to those emotions. Level-headed leaders are more respected. You can have charisma, you can have finesse without being emotional, without allowing yourself to get sucked in to the emotion of the moment. And sometimes that's difficult. So you may be talking with someone who is being emotional and your role is to be present with them in that emotional moment without getting sucked into being them. And that takes a boundary. That takes a boundary between your thoughts and your emotions. You might be thinking, this is really hard. This person is struggling with something. But if I go into a space where I am in that chaotic emotion with them, I cannot be the thought leader that they need me to be, to be present with them, to help them through this situation. So don't confuse your passion as a pass for emotion. It's not. 
We can be passionate about what we're doing, but we need to know how to reel in that passion so that it doesn't drive our decision making. And that's a fine line. And that's why I say, know a good poker face. It's okay if you're not sure, if you're being too emotional to just shut down for a moment. Just stop talking Take five seconds and deep in breath, two, three, four, five, hold, two, three, four, five, exhale, two, three, four, five, think calm, two, three, four, five. I call that the four fives. Give yourself the four fives in, hold, exhale, calm, two, three, four, five, to give yourself a moment to hold your composure together, to get yourself together, to self-regulate. And in that space, in that still space, remind yourself that I'm okay. I do have something to offer here. I am sensing, I am feeling that I might be a little bit too anxious about this. Let me take a deep breath and calm down. And the more you practice this, the more you will be able to execute it in a crisis moment. If you don't practice it and think you can pull it out of your tool belt in a crisis moment, that's very hard to do. And that's where regret comes in, where you're saying, oh, I wish I would have. I wish I had. Mary Lee said I probably should practice mindful daily practices. Maybe I could hold it together. I'm going to start doing that. It's okay. We can start anytime can start practicing mindfulness anytime and it never ends. It's always there for you so that we can better understand our own thoughts and how we translate those into stories and the emotions that follow those stories and the actions we take following that. Tip number 14. Narcissistic leaders thrive on keeping their teams in chaos and fear so that nobody notices their own ineptness. Stay off their radar screen by making sure they know you have their back, as we've talked about, giving them all the glory and presenting your work with confidence so they can trust you. Narcissistic leaders live in fear. We've talked already about fear-based leaders. But narcissistic leaders are usually very charismatic and draw people in. Think about Hitler, Mussolini, and Stalin. People liked them at the beginning too. These people are dangerous and you can't predict what they do. And often what I'll see is my clients who report to a narcissistic leader are constantly looking and seeking recognition or any kind of accolade for the work that they're doing, that is not going to happen. You have to release that need in yourself, that part of your own ego that needs to be affirmed by a narcissistic boss. Let it go. Don't even get on their radar screen. Don't go to them with anything looking to be praised. Only go to them with things that matter to them and let them take the credit for it because that's going to keep you safe and off of their radar. 
Now, this is a little bit hard to manage. It's hard to accept. Well, I did all this work. Yes, you did. And your job is secure and you're learning and growing. Hopefully you've chosen to work within an organization where that's the case, because if not, you should be looking for something else. But if you're otherwise happy and secure in that organization, with the exception of this leader, as soon as that leader knows that they can trust you, that you have their back and you're there to make them look good, they will leave you alone, which takes you having to manage your own ego thus that you don't need them to tell you how great you are. It's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. They are so afraid that other people are going to find out that they're not good at what they do. And here's what their ego needs. Their ego needs what you are looking for in a personified way. They need constantly to be told how good they are, how great they are, how what they're doing is working out, how excited you are about what they're doing. Think about Hitler. Wasn't that the way he needed to be followed? And isn't that what everybody did around him? It was his way or the highway. Yes, 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 people. And I'm not suggesting by any means that you betray your values and lie. I'm saying to live in peace in a position that you've chosen and that you like, stay off the radar screen of a narcissistic leader by allowing them to know that you have their back. If they want to take credit for the work that you did, so what? The work got done, other people saw it, you have the fulfillment for it, you're proud of your work, that is enough until you find another role with a boss that you like working with. But in the meantime, they need so much more than you do. Allow them to have it because it makes your life more peaceful. And if that can't, isn't something that you can do, that's okay. Find somewhere else where you can go, but to stay and ruminate and poison a culture and complain, that's not going to position you for a better role. It's not going to make you happy and it's going to make you miserable over time. And that will end up showing up in your relationships and other areas of your life. These tips that I'm sharing with you in this series are not typical tips that you find in leadership books. You're never going to find a leadership book that's going to talk to you about how honestly to deal with a narcissistic leader like I just did. These tips I've come up with are things that I have experienced myself and learned over time how to manage better through trials and tribulations through successes and failures. So allow yourself the same grace. We're all learning. We're learning every day until the day we die. We don't have anything aced. It's all an act in progress. So sometimes we'll be good at things and sometimes we won't and that's okay. Let's have some fun with it along the way. Can we laugh at ourselves along the way? I've had some encounters with some people that I wasn't too proud of. I, I remember being invited into my first executive management table meeting and being pinned down on something that was very important. It was a lot of money that needed to be raised. It was $10.4 million. And when do you think you can do it, Mary Lee? And I was completely caught off guard and I did not respond well. I looked like a scared and frightened dog. And I was shaking my head and shaking my hands while I, 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 and stammering. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared. And I made a, and I 
was in my mid-30s when I did this very early in my career. And I said to myself at that time, I will never again be this unprepared emotionally to be asked something point blank. And I made a commitment to myself right there in that moment that if ever again somebody asks me something that I that makes me feel threatened or that I'm not prepared to answer, I now have a go-to phrase. And what was a good one for me is, you know, I don't have an answer for that right now. Let me put some pen to paper and get back to you tomorrow. And that became my go-to phrase. I use it today. I made a commitment, a mindful commitment to myself that if I ever feel threatened, I'm going to see that threat coming before the emotion takes over. And I'm going to change the thought, the lens on that thought that was otherwise, I'm going to be criticized here. I'm going to lose my job too. You know what? I know what I'm doing. If I take a little bit more time with it, I will be able to figure it out. And then the action I take is a commitment to a phrase that I repeat over and over again. And that is, I don't have an answer to that right now. Let me put a pen to paper and I will get back to you by the end of the day or tomorrow or next week or some time frame. So have those tools in your tool belt that you can rely on such that you're managing that ego that's out there raging in your face saying, no, not safe, not safe, danger, danger. Nope, you've got this covered because you're mindfully prepared. I'm glad you were with me today, and I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me. 